How is it going, everybody? It is DeMarco here with episode 5 of the Push Start Podcast, my weekly podcast series where I talk about everything going on in the gaming industry. It's my opportunity to branch out from Bethesda. I like more than just Bethesda games, surprise. So this is an opportunity for me to talk about what's going on in the rest of the industry without bogging down the channel's main content per se. Although eventually, you know, depending on how we grow, we might start to experiment with talking about more than just Bethesda. That would be a lot of fun. Anyway, a couple of household items to get out of the way before we get started with the show. It is a solo podcast, so I hope you enjoy listening to my voice. <laughs> um, uh, get some popcorn, get a soda, listen while you're doing chores, going to bed, doing the laundry. That's a chore. <laughs> you get the point. Uh, whatever it might be, but I hope you are going to enjoy it. And also, there's a lot of new faces on the channel, so if you're one of them, then welcome! Hi! Uh, if you haven't already, do go ahead and check out the Discord. It's a very fun place if you want to get more involved in the channel and the people that are a part of it, myself included. I always look for advice there, everyone I consider to be my friends that's a part of it, so it's a great place to go and hang out. I highly recommend, link will be in the description below. And as always, there will be timestamps. Before I post episodes, I listen to the whole thing through myself and I get the most accurate timestamps possible so that you all can skip to where you'd like. And this will also be available on Spotify. That's what something that I'm doing now. So you can go check it out there as well. Link in the description. So let's get started with one of the first topics I always like to do. And this was directly stolen from Mr. Matty Plays and his ham radio podcast, which is what I'm playing. And actually, fun fact, I began playing the Arkham series again. Well, two games, actually. One is the Arkham series, and I'll get into why in a little bit, but there's some interesting rumors going on with the Batman games. It's been since 2015, I think, was Arkham Knight, which is just absolutely insane to think about. We've been waiting for an Arkham game slightly less long than we have been waiting for an Elder Scrolls game. So... Mm, it's it's painful. Both of them are painful. <laughs> um, but we do have rumors that are going around, and I'll be talking about those in just a little bit. But seeing all this information coming out, getting excited. I love the Arkham games. It's one of my favorite trilogies of all time. So I've been going and I've been playing Arkham City. It's my favorite of the three. Arkham Knight as well. Oh, I like all of them. It's hard to decide, but... That, and also, Lego Harry Potter, of all things. <laughs> I love the Lego games. I'm actually really excited for the Lego Star Wars remaster that they're coming out with. I never thought that you would need to remaster a Lego game, but there you are, and I, I'm excited for it. And they're doing a lot of changes with it, though. Besides making it visually much better, they're also adding voice acting to it. They're adding new elements. I think the story itself will be different from what it was in the original Lego game, so... That's something to be excited about, but hey, Lego, uh, Lego Harry Potter. I big fan of the Lego games, and I think it's absolutely adorable. It's so wholesome. The humor is it brings out that childlike wonder in me, and I absolutely love that whenever I'm playing any game. Really, if it can bring out that inner kid, and Lego Harry Potter has been doing that. I haven't had a good Lego fix since Lego Star Wars, so. It's exciting. I would love to stream it, but I bought it on the Xbox, so <laughs> I can't I can't do that unless I wanted to buy it twice. So that's what I'm playing currently. And the Arkham one is interesting because as I said, there are some new rumors coming out regarding the next Batman game. 
Again, it's been since 2015. 2015 was when we got Arkham Knight and fans have been clamoring for any information. Rocksteady has been doing a fairly poor job of teasing it. And I don't think it's Rocksteady's fault. I think it's really Warner Brothers because Warner Brothers is in charge of saying when they can and can't say things. Uh, with W Games Montreal, who is working on the next Batman game, it's been rumored to be a Court of Owls game. Well, rumored, it's almost confirmed at this point that it is a Court of Owls game, and it's been rumored you can play as the entire Bat family. Not sure how that would work. I, it would be interesting if it's possible, and I'm curious to see what they want to do. I'd assume maybe similar but different to what Marvel is doing with the Avengers. That could be cool and also not so cool because I know people are very wary of this Avengers game. But the big news now is that it's actually not going to be an Arkham game. It's actually going to be a Batman reboot, which is good. I think that's a good thing at least. And I've heard people in the community such as Nightwing01 who's been talking about it and he was saying the same thing. That it's good they're doing a reboot because... Arkham Knight was the canonical ending. That is the end of the Arkham trilogy. It was the it was the climax. It was the finale. And they did it perfectly. It would really not work to have another game set in the Arkhamverse unless you went for another prequel like Origins. But meh, no. <laughs> no thank you. I I think that doing a reboot if it, if it stays true to the free-flow combat system, which is what everybody really does like about the Arkham games, the combat, the stealth elements, the detective elements, of course, improve on those, make them better, change things so it doesn't feel like you're playing a copy-paste Arkham game, which is something that I have to say, with every Arkham sequel, the exception being Arkham Origins, They've always done a really good job of making them feel distinct from one another. You know, Arkham uh, Asylum to Arkham City, phenomenally different from Arkham City to Arkham Knight. And I think that's great. Of course, you had that same tried-to-true free-flow combat formula with the Detective Vision. Those sorts of things, they're going to carry through because that's just a staple of the franchise. But where it really sets itself apart is... For example, although it was overused, the Batmobile being introduced into the game. Or in Arkham City, it became the big, big world space that you had compared to just the small asylum. Plus, the gliding mechanics were massive. Then uh, Arkham Knight as well did the dual buddy combat system where you can go between two characters. That was awesome. The fear takedown system was always cool. It never gets old to do fear takedowns. Those sorts of things, right? So what you'd expect... At this point, at least, I would expect these natural improvements coming to the game. And in that way, it can hopefully distinguish itself enough where people don't feel like they're playing an Arkham Knight sequel. Because that's what it's not supposed to be. I do have an article here that I'll check out for a little bit. It says, This will come as a shock to some who are hoping to see a continuation of the popular franchise. A sequel to Arkham Knight was considered early on with Bruce Wayne's son, Damien, taking over the cape and cowl. This was cancelled before WB Montreal got a chance to announce it at the Game Awards in 2016. What followed was a string of different ideas and management shifts before the studio decided to settle on a fresh start away from the Arkhamverse. The new Batman game will kick off a new, somewhat cohesive DC game universe. This is the other big news I'll get into. 
shortly after its release this fall. It will be followed up by a next-gen DC game from the creators of the Batman Arkham franchise, Rocksteady Studios. The roadmap from there is foggy. Sources have said that a next-gen Superman... Oh, excuse me. <laughs> a next-gen Superman game, not Rocksteady, is also in the works at Warner Brothers, but nothing confirmed yet. Then it goes on to mention how the Court of Owls and the Bat Family that I already talked about. So, there you go. I Like I said, I agree with the decision. I think it's a good one. It, it doesn't make sense to have it. Damian Wayne would have been cool, but then people want to play as Bruce Wayne. I think that's what a lot of... Unless you get hardcore Batman fans, of course, there's tons of them that are playing the Arkham games. But for a majority of people, in order to actually sell it, you need to presumably have Bruce Wayne and friends. Right, Batman and Friends, obviously Damian Wayne is Batman, but it's a different one, not the one everyone knows, and you get into that whole shtick. It might seem silly if you're an actual Batman fan, such as myself, but it, it makes sense if you think that you, if you're one of them, you're probably not in the majority, actually. Anyway. Mm. Sip of water. Talking like this, oh god do it again i don't know the other thing too is they already did have this sort of interconnected universe for example superman you'd hear comments in the arkham games about superman all the time uh there were references to star city in the arkham game so that's where the flash is from obviously and it's interesting we'll have to wait and see what they want to do obviously there's this next gen superman game uh, Superman's hard to pull off just because he's basically impervious. He's, you know, the man of steel. <laughs> and so he's, he's, you know, one of the strongest, a little bit overpowered. That's why I'm not too crazy about Superman. Sue me. But there you go. Anyway, it's going to also take place with the Court of Owls, which is interesting. The Court of Owls is a really great uh, background to go from in this elusive organization that I like. Um, but the marketing for the game is the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which has been absolutely terrible. They've been teasing this game way, way back. We've heard leaks, as the article says, in 2016 with the Damian Wayne game. That was canceled. Then there were other rumors of a different game that was also canceled. Um, those were, there were leaked screenshots, actually, where you can see a female black mask, which was very interesting. But that apparently has been canned as well. So then from there, we had pictures of, for example, people working in the studio. They took pictures of their motion capture. Uh, they took teases of voice actors working on projects, I think, at some points. Then they, they throw out this, uh, this GIF, that GIF, 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 however you prefer, of different logos that tease the Court of Owls mixed with some other, you know, the Demon's Head, the League of Shadows, and all these other different symbols that allude to the different organizations that will be involved in this next Batman game. Look, people are just waiting for something tangible and not these little teases followed by having an event where they don't make a comment as to whether or not they're going to be there. They don't say anything. Then it's not there. The Game Awards is a perfect example. People were, were expecting it. WB didn't say a word. And so everyone got their hopes up for uh, to see something at the Game Awards. When it wasn't there, everyone was kind of just scratching their heads going, seriously? Hopefully, we will see something at 
E3. And that seems the most likely. It's been this long. It's been getting more and more teased. It seems like they're working towards an official announcement. But to just throw out these little hints for the past five years has been obnoxious, tedious, and it's getting on a lot of people's nerves. Even as someone, I'm not that hardcore, so I'm not really irritated by it. But listening to people who are very active in the community who have channels based around the Batman games, they they don't seem too happy with it. And so, hey, the wait is hopefully going to be over this June. Alright, moving on to our next topic that I want to discuss, which is microtransactions. Microtransactions are huge. We all know they're huge. Just how big is a different story? This article is uh, coming from Redmond Pie. I don't know why I chose this one, but <laughs> um, they all cover the same story with the same numbers. It's just how it works. So anyway, this, st- this article starts, Electronic Arts shared its quarterly earnings report yesterday. This is February 2nd, so not yesterday anymore, but revealing that the video game publisher earned nearly $1 billion. $1 billion from microtransactions in the previous quarter alone. What? What? Oh my god, and you know where it's all coming from. It's coming from a couple things. Apex, excuse me, Apex Legends, FIFA, Madden, and all of their other sports games. That's it. That's where all of these sales are coming from in microtransactions. It's absolutely ludicrous. One billion. You know, it used to be when they would only earn one billion in an entire year. Now they're doing that much in a quarter. Are you serious? (sighs) You guys, not you guys, but people need to stop shilling out for this stuff really it's it's getting ridiculous and now it's super confusing to me it's incredibly confusing to me because then you have people who freak out about microtransactions going oh you shouldn't put them in the game it's ruining gaming and i think microtransactions genuinely ruin gaming and the reason why is because then developers have an incentive there is an actual incentive to not make the game as fun, as enjoyable, with as much stuff in it, because they'll just sell it later, right? They can just turn around and go, oh, well, you know, we have this great idea for a game. You're going to have all these different things you can unlock, but only if you pay for them. And the executives go, yes, brilliant. And that's why we've seen battle passes in everything. Battle passes are exploding. Every first-person shooter, for God knows what reason, feels the need to include a battle pass. Well, I say God knows what reason. We know the reason. Because they're making $1 billion in a quarter. Man. That's a 20% increase, as the article continues. A 27% year-over-year increase. Wow, it's $2.8 billion for the entire fiscal year. So that's a great, that's actually exactly what I was saying before, where it used to be one uh, billion and a quarter, um, probably less than that, because if they made one billion in one quarter, but 2.8 billion for the entire year, there you go, do the math, I can't do math, I'm terrible at maths, <laughs> so I'll leave that to you guys. Mm. Sip of water. So... Stop buying microtransactions. Knock it off. 
things like this happen. This is exactly the case of what we saw with uh, Fallout 76. Fallout 76, when they released it, they, they realized that people will pay for this stuff. And I'm talking strictly about the non-cosmetic items. They realized that people will pay for it. And so they decided to exploit that. And Gopher uses a term that I really like. Pay to not suck. It's not pay to win. It's pay to not suck. Because they lock behind items of the game that will make you enjoy it more. That will make the game more convenient, more fun to play. And thus, it's almost a necessity to buy it. So when Bethesda released that statement that said, Oh, you know, it's the most popular thing in our atomic shop. People are buying it like crazy. Well, of course they're buying it like crazy. They're buying it like crazy because it makes the game enjoyable. Because it makes it more fun and practical to play. Shadow of War is another great example where you had to grind and grind and grind to get to the ending as what people who finished the game said. I play Shadow of War. I actually picked it up somewhat recently and started playing it, but I get bored. I get bored because the gameplay loop relies on the fact of go out, get orcs, conquer. Go out, get orcs, conquer. That's the entire thing. And while it worked great for Shadow of Mordor because it was new, it's not new anymore. So they can't ride off of that. But they tried to sell loot boxes as well. That's why it was so grindy. They wanted to have their shop where you can buy orcs. And it didn't even make sense for a game like that. It wasn't even a multiplayer game. Well, they had multiplayer aspects that were actually pretty cool in my opinion. But there was no need for it. None at all. Bethesda did the exact same thing when they tried to put in... Or they tried. When they started putting in the repair kits. When they started putting in the um the stash collectors and those sorts of things they were doing the exact same thing but one billion is absolutely ridiculous no wonder they keep doing these things but it's interesting because that directly contrasts with jedi fallen order which is the next thing i want to talk about which is jedi fallen order success so jedi fallen order ea uh released the game and they was a big risk for them i guess because they thought that single player games were dead yeah, alright. <laughs> Legendary facepalm with that. They thought that single-player games were dead. Uh, so, uh, the fact that they were releasing a single-player only, no microtransaction Star Wars game was absolutely bewildering. From the people who make Titanfall, of all things. But they did. And largely, they said, actually in the past, they said they were really allowed to do that because Apex Legends was so successful. So in that regard, thanks Apex, <laughs> thank you, seriously, for for allowing them to make this game. Because I'd imagine if it flopped that they'd be forced to make something else that was monetization heavy, or Jedi Fallen Order as we know it would have been completely compromised and completely different. Anyway, it seems, according to this article, among the titles released during the last quarter, EA seems to be the happiest with Jedi Fallen Order, claiming that the game performed much better than expected. Previous expectations had the game selling 6 to 8 million copies by the end of the fiscal year. EA now sees that number crossing 10 million. An additional 2 million units sold. That's great for that game. If you haven't played it, it's my personal game of the year. And it completely deserves it. It really does deserve to sell well. And I really do hope that EA looks at this. Takes a really long hard look at Jedi Fallen Order and says, oh boy. We need to, uh, we need to keep doing this. 
and we get another single player Star Wars game and another single player, I don't know, EA has uh, the Star Wars license down pat. So it doesn't even have to be Jedi Fallen Order sequel. It could be literally anything else. <laughs> I, 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 we, there's been rumors that there's a new KOTOR game in the works. I'm interested to know if that's because of the success of Jedi Fallen Order. If it's always something that they had on the back burner and they said, oh, wow. Jedi Fallen Order is doing really, really well. People like Star Wars. People like single player. People will buy a remaster. Hmm. And they kind of put all these things together and then turn around and said, okay, we'll do it. So, I don't know, man, but single player isn't dead. There's a market for single player. There's always going to be a market for single player. So, the fact that all of these games are jumping on this multiplayer bandwagon because it makes a lot of money... It's only leaving people more and more hungry for a single-player experience. And what that means is the people who are left making single-player games are going to really, really come out on top as a result. Because everyone will be clamoring towards it. It doesn't matter what genre it is. Or it does to some extent. But realistically, it matters what the gameplay is. If the gameplay is appealing to people and it's a single-player game, then they'll go off and they'll check it out because you know, as much fun as it is, I enjoy Battlefield. I enjoy, I don't play Call of Duty, but I enjoyed Call of Duty once upon a time. <laughs> I don't know. It's to, to, to turn around to me to turn around and say, well, microtransactions are good because then you keep getting new content. That's the idea behind live service, right? They can do that with DLC. I've never understood why people justify live service titles because DLC can do that exact thing and then some. The difference is whether or not you get it in a big content pack or you get it in small tiny updates that realistically at the end of the day don't change the game that much unless you're talking about Wastelanders. Wastelanders is a different story because that's a soft reboot of Fallout 76. We'll have to wait and see. The industry is changing. That much is for sure, but it's also good to see that the industry recognizes there is a need for these first party, or I'm sorry, third party single player games. And I do want to see, because EA has a lot of talented teams, that much is for certain, and using the CryEngine is, I believe, what they use. Uh, no, not the CryEngine, the Frostbite. Using the Frostbite engine is extremely powerful. It's extremely, extremely powerful. Thankfully, thankfully... They allowed for Jedi Fallen Order to use the Unreal Engine because some studios run into what Dragon Age Inquisition did, which was the fact that they couldn't make games or they couldn't make a great single player open world RPG because the Frostbite Engine isn't made for single player open world RPGs. It's made for first person shooters. So thankfully they were allowed to use the Unreal Engine. I hope that's another change that... EA starts to look at it's it's fine I'm not saying that all of these live service multiplayer games need to go away there's a market for them just as much as there's a market for single player it's just really stupid to see single player being left behind as something that's not profitable when clearly it is maybe not as profitable but there's still money to be made and money will be made speaking of microtransactions Doom Eternal will not have any. It won't even have an in-game store. This is great. I would have been... There was there was some speculation, uh, you know, maybe about a week or so ago, that was saying how Doom Eternal would 
feature microtransactions because it was a battle pass-esque looking system in the demo that people had played. They got the three-hour demo recently. A lot of people really loved it. I've only been hearing good things coming out about this game. So that's something definitely, definitely to look forward to. But Doom Eternal won't have any. So those fears can be laid to rest. It was one of my biggest concerns, especially after things such as, um, you know, uh, Wolfenstein Youngblood that heavily emphasized microtransactions supposedly for cosmetic items and for boosters because everyone loves boosters and you guys all know how much I absolutely love them. Oh boy, what the heck are people doing? Why are people buying these things? Anyway, this article is coming from PC Gamer. It says buying a pricey game these days doesn't guarantee you'll get access to everything without dipping into your wallet again. True words have never been said. But at least in the case of Doom Eternal, you'll be able to save your pennies. Creative director Hugo Martin confirmed there will be no shop or double dipping when it comes to cosmetics. I love that. Double, no double dipping. That's great. We should pay to not suck and double dipping. Doom Eternal will let you unlock skins to spruce up the Doom Slayer, but you'll be able to get the lot for just XP. That's the only resource you can use to unlock cosmetics, which Martin emphasizes will have no bearing on your Doom Slayer's skill at murder. Eternal is a $60 game, Martin said on Facebook. Interesting you used Facebook. Not a free-to-play game or a mobile game. We're giving you a complete experience uh, with no store, just like you'd expect. Phenomenal. Thank you. Bravo, Doom Eternal. Bravo, Zenimax, for ultimately i'm assuming making that decision you know zenimax is usually the one that's in charge for saying as to whether or not things have to be monetized because they're the ones that give the paychecks at the end of the day so if zenimax wants microtransactions you're getting microtransactions which is what i think happened with wolfenstein young blood which is what i think happened with fallout 76 bethesda did do fallout 76 zenimax did something to keep in mind Anyway, I think that if Doom Eternal had microtransactions, even if they were just cosmetic only, no matter how much good press this game has been getting, people would have looked at it and gone, ooh, especially after Wolfenstein Young Blood. It didn't do well, there was monetization all over the place, especially after, even more so, Fallout 76. Monetization all over the place, people hated it. It wouldn't have looked good. It would not have looked good, so I'm glad to see they're not going that route, and nobody can really look at this game with skepticism. I think microtransactions, too, one of the worst things that would have happened would be the fact that the game would... Uh, what am I trying? The game would shy away people who were hesitant about it. Because now people see microtransactions, and it's immediately... It's almost like this fear word. Every developer interview, you go, you look at E3 and people are like, oh, microtransactions. And then you see the developers or the PR guy, whoever's speaking, kind of like curl up a little bit and go, uh, yeah, there may or may not be some form of monetization that we're not going to discuss at the moment. <laughs> you know, you know, they don't want to talk about it because it's this really uncomfortable elephant in the room is microtransactions. So that to me says that publishers developers more so but people know that it's not a good thing it doesn't look good that people don't want it in the game they just do it anyway and 
allegedly with EA, we know that people buy them. So it does in fact work. But it's always that uncomfortable. It's like that friend. It's like that friend that you, you kind of tolerate him because you feel bad. The act, but in this case, you don't feel bad because it's microtransactions. I don't know. Phone! God damn it, phone. That's why you always mute your phone before you start recording. And I did not. <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. But um, the big thing... Uh, well, I don't even... God damn it. I lost what I was saying. Microtransactions in Doom. Yeah, you kind of you kind of shy away just everybody. And, and you always with... The other thing about microtransactions too is that if you ever hear... I don't know if other people are the same. But if I ever hear that there are microtransactions in a game, it immediately shoots off these red flags. Where I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm thinking... Oh, was this changed? Was this altered? Was this nerfed? Did they did they scale back the XP? Did they lock these items that they're now selling behind the paywall? Were they originally free and now they changed that? I always get all over the place and I am I'm looking for all these things. And all all it takes is just having the microtransactions. All of it could be wrong, but it doesn't matter. I'm already put on the defense, and this is just a me thing. I'm put on the defense because they're there. They're they're looming over me. They're looking at me. I'm like, I don't what did you change? Because invariably, like I said, it, it creates this this air that you 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 need to uh, lock away content. Because otherwise, what are you going to sell? There has to be things locked away, and that's the biggest issue with microtransactions. It's the biggest issue with live service games. What aren't you including? What are you hiding from me? So it's great to see Doom Eternal is coming out March twentieth. Um, I know for some people, I was listening to Angry Joe actually talk about this, uh, that this is a, a sale for a pre-order, which is great. I, I want this game to do really, really well, especially in light of the fact that other Bethesda IPs don't do as well. Uh, what is it? We had Prey that didn't sell as well as they probably hoped. We had uh, Dishonored 2, which didn't sell as well as they likely hoped. It's a shame. Wolfenstein... Uh, Wolfenstein, the new, the new Colossus didn't sell as well as they likely hoped. Still made profit, did not lose money, but it was not where they would like it to be. And that sucks because there was a really, really great games and all of you likely being a Bethesda community know that that's the case, that, that they're good games and they're definitely underappreciated. It's great too, because, um, what is it? Doom, Doom 2016 had microtransactions in it, actually. Now, it was exclusive to the multiplayer, um, which, again, I actually wouldn't mind too much because they didn't really play the multiplayer. I don't think many people did play the multiplayer, but they sold some multiplayer DLC um, that became free later because presumably no one was buying it. <laughs> um, but it let everybody play with the extra maps, the extra demons and stuff like that. It's good to know that's not going to be the case because this new battle mode that they're talking about looks really, really cool. Where there's one Doom Slayer, two demons, you have to get both of them killed at the same time as a Doom Slayer in order to win. Otherwise, they respawn. It's pretty neat. I am flying through these topics much quicker than I thought I would be. Ooh, guess it's, it's, it's that way if you're just covering it more so than 
giving your opinion on it. This is why I've actually considered doing it live. Uh, I know that Gopher has a live podcast and King Fanman has a live podcast and it does make it more interesting per se because then you get the feedback of the community especially with the solo shows um that's why i i do want to try to find someone who can become a permanent co-host and i do have someone in mind but i don't think it's going to or i have a couple people that i would like but i don't know how it would work out because schedules are always messy everyone has their own things going on everyone has life going on it's tricky it is tricky but hey we trudge along. Maybe I would move it live if I continue to do it solo. Keep it on Mondays. I don't know. It's all, it's all, everything's subjective to change because I'm always trying new things. I'm always seeing what works, what doesn't, learning, growing. It's a fun process. I love this so much. I love, I've, I've learned so much too. Not just about how to speak and how to present myself, but how to edit, how to record, how to properly you know, handle balancing audio with music is still something I'm trying to perfect. You'll notice it changes a lot in my videos. Sometimes it's really quiet, sometimes it's really loud. All right. Anyway, next bit of news is The Outer Worlds. The Outer Worlds was delayed due to the coronavirus. Man, first off, I do want to say anybody that's been affected or knows someone who's been affected by coronavirus, my heart goes out to you. It really, really does. This is not something to be taken lightly. It is pretty serious and i'm i'm genuinely sorry if anyone has to suffer from this it, it shouldn't be the case but uh the outer worlds obsidian entertainment sent out a tweet i think it was a tweet that said hello friends we have some news to share to you with all the regarding all of you regarding the nintendo switch version of the outer worlds the release date is being pushed back due to how the coronavirus has impacted the virtuos team we're happy to say that the team is healthy but their office is closed for safety reasons. To provide this team enough time to finish development, we need to postpone the release. Also, we are happy to announce that we will now include a cartridge. Yes, a actual physical product with the boxed versions of the game. Thank you. Thank you, Obsidian. Actually including something that's physical with my physical copy. Oh, man. All right, I'll get back to that in a little bit, but... Thank you for reading, and we'll keep everyone up to date with news regarding the release date when we can. Have a great week, everyone. How nice. <laughs> um, well, first off, the, the, it's great that they're actually closing down. There's new rumors that actually are saying that next-gen systems might be delayed as a result of the coronavirus. Doesn't surprise me, uh, given the fact that where is almost everything made nowadays, right? We make uh, everything in the United States comes from China, and that includes consoles and more importantly, more importantly, the parts within the consoles. But first and foremost, I'm glad that they are letting them close the studio. I'm sure that was a hard decision because it increases development time before it comes out. And, you know, that team maybe could have been working on something else, but who knows? Maybe they're just hiring them specifically for the port but it's good that they're not making them sit there and work in fear of getting sick i think that's absolutely ridiculous to have to have team members sit down and, and worry about whether or not they're going to possibly die from going to work possibly get sick and be killed from going to work nobody nobody 
should have to go through that. And if you think that that's fine, that people need to get work done, then you need to sort your priorities out. <laughs> really. Um, what else? We're happy to announce a cartridge of the game. This is absolutely ludicrous to me that this is announcements. That they, they are saying we are happy to announce there will be a cartridge. That's big news. Big news that there's going to... Everybody, look. There's going to be a cartridge, a physical product with your physical copy you're paying $60 for. You're going to get a physical... Oh, man. Now, I get why they're doing this. Because you just put in a code, it's digital, you can't sell the game. So, that means that you buy it on a system and it's sold, they get their money. Returns are a bit different. You can return games on Xbox, PlayStation. I think PlayStation is the most stingy with their return policy. And Steam is fairly reasonable where you can download the game, play it for three hours, return it as long as you don't cross that threshold, which is great. And I hope that more distribution, digital distribution platforms do it. But I myself, I'm, I feel like everybody that talks about it, anytime I hear someone mention it, I feel like they talk about how they're an old school gamer and they like physical copies, but how many people say that and don't actually do it? <laughs> they buy it digitally because it is so much more convenient. That's the issue. It's so much more convenient to turn around and get a digital thing on the console. A lot of the times the deals are better than what you can find in the store too. That's the other part. And then it's there forever. It won't get scratched, broken, lost, what have you. You just have it there. And especially with, I think, going into next gen that things will be available through the cloud, it goes up to the cloud and gets back and things are going to be cross-platform, cross-generational. It makes it that much easier because any game that you have on a console specifically goes into the cloud and then when cross-platform games and backwards compatibility, I'm sorry, that's what I meant, backwards compatibility comes through, it's already there. It's already accessible. You don't need to go off and find your disc if you want to play your Xbox 360 game on your Xbox Series X or your PlayStation 2 game on your PlayStation 5 that sort of thing. Man, but if someone is taking the time, if someone is taking the time to drive to the store, pick up a box, pick up a box, drive home, use a, use a disc, then they should get the disc. They should get the disc if they're going through all that effort. And realistically, you can't tell me that you're saving that much money on making discs because you still have to make the physical packaging and the physical pla plastics. So don't tell me it's for the environment either. Oh, we're being eco-friendly by not including a disc. Oh, we're saving the environment. We are cutting down on hugely. They can't even give statistics because it's a they're still using boxes made of plastic with wrapping made of cellophane. Get oh no, knock that off. Knock that off. <laughs> So I'm glad they're doing a physical copy. I I, I like hearing King Fanman talk about it because King Fanman will talk about it and he'll mention how he bought the 200 or 200 plus dollar collector's edition and he brought the, the 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 box home and inside of it was a cardboard cutout inside of the disc. He got all the fancy stuff, of course, but inside the box was a plastic, uh, I'm sorry, a cardboard cutout with a code on it. Are you Serious? So now not only are you not including the disc, which is what people want. We don't want digital. We want the disc. 
Some people want the boxes. I myself, I like having the boxes. But you go out and you, you go through all this trouble and, and you say it's for the environment or whatever. And then you include cardboard. But you actually take the time to have someone cut out in the shape of a disc all these pieces of card. I know it's a machine doing it at, you know, probably a thousand per second. But you still have, that's, that's a task. That is a task that is assigned to do that. I think that's hysterical. Absolutely hysterical. <laughs> and, oh man. Just include the goddamn discs. As for next-gen, that leads to some interesting implications, next-gen being delayed by the coronavirus. Next-gen being delayed means that all of those launch titles will also possibly be delayed. Ooh, what does that mean? Some people might immediately know where I'm going. Starfield. Yeah, Starfield may be delayed if next-gen consoles are... Wow, that is a heavy statement. We've been waiting so long for a proper single-player Bethesda game... Only to find out that it's delayed, not due to means within their control, but by the coronavirus. Now again, I still hold the same mentality. I will have a whole video uh, dedicated coming out to this topic. It's actually already, the script's done, I just have to record the audio for it. But, again, same same kind of premise. I'd rather them be safe. I'd rather them not have to worry about, be, you know, working. And console's a bit different because it's, it's not Microsoft saying that, oh, we'll cut off production because of this reason i'm sure they have that influence they can stop paying but they work with a third party who manufactures the parts which gets made into the consoles and which means whoever owns either that factory or owns that comp that third party that is manufacturing the product um is in charge of that decision so as long as they keep making money or keep paying then that company holds the power as to whether or not to continue production um, I, I'm, I'm glad this is the case because I would hate to see it become a game of chicken. Could you imagine it becomes like a game of chicken between, uh, Microsoft and Sony? Who's going to cancel production first based on the coronavirus or based on their employees possibly getting sick? That would be, that would be disgusting. Absolutely immoral from a, from a business point of view. But we know that businesses are above that. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's Sony, Microsoft, uh, you know, uh, pfft. I, of course, I can't think of any companies now, but you get the point. Samsung, uh, whatever. Netflix. <laughs> you know, companies aren't above that. So, I would hate to see if it, if it came down to a game of chicken where PlayStation continues, let's say, production. Not saying that they would do this, but if PlayStation continued production because they wanted to make sure that they got it out before the Xbox came out. Keep taking sips of water. Gotta stay hydrated. Hydration nation, baby. Hydration's important. But there's 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 a thing. I, I don't want to see it become a game of chicken. Hopefully that doesn't become the case. As for Starfield, if it gets released again, that's fine. Possible, yeah. Then it just won't be... It, it'll still remain a launch title. Just not in fall 2020. It would miss that release date. Alright, so... On to the last final topic, continuing with the Starfield trend. This is really where I want to always include a Bethesda topic. I'm going to call this the Bethesda Corner. So welcome to the Bethesda Corner. I try to tie in most of my discussion points to, to Bethesda in some way, shape, or form. But at the very least, you can always expect one dedicated 
Bethesda topic. And for today, I wanted to discuss how familiar should Starfield feel. And what I mean by that is exactly when I sit down and play it, how much should it feel like, you know, Elder Scrolls in space, Fallout in space is immediately, I got the hiccups now, <laughs> is immediately what people are going to come to. They're going to be like, oh, it's going to be Elder Scrolls in space with guns. How familiar should it be? The answer is not at all. My answer is not at all. I do not want to pick up the only thing, the only thing that I want to see when I pick up Starfield for the first time is the Bethesda DNA of open world, choose, be whoever you want, you're not bound by a story, a character, a dialogue, voiceover, wink wink, Bethesda's not going to do that again, they learned, they learned, they know, I don't think we're going to see a voice protagonist anytime soon, unless they really want to do like, this is a linear story driven game, that's a bit different. But I also don't see a linear story-driven game coming from Bethesda. So, there you go. Anyway, outside of having that full interactive build-your-own-character, you're not tied down to any particular role, you can choose whatever faction elements, that sort of thing. And, of course, being introduced to the world and just kind of being in awe, like what the... F do I do next? You know, always when you play a Bethesda game, that's sort of the feeling that you get. Because you get introduced to the world. And we know that Bethesda has said in the past, I think it was Todd Howard mentioned how he will recapture that feeling with Starfield, which is good. The question is whether or not it's going to follow simple, similar combat mechanics. Now, I can confidently say that I think Fallout 4, I'm getting confused with my games, Fallout 4 did a really good job with distinguishing itself from Skyrim. At no point did I really feel like I was playing Skyrim with guns, which I know is a big complaint people had from Oblivion to Fallout. From Oblivion to Fallout 3, people said, oh, this is just Oblivion with guns. I personally didn't think so, but I did get what they meant. But I didn't feel that way. Fallout 4, I think, did enough to distinguish itself. So I'm curious if Starfield will feel like Fallout in space. And if that's the case, I think it will really, really turn off a lot of people from it. Not for the reason that they don't like Fallout. Not for the reason that they're not Bethesda fans. But because they'll know that this is something they've done before. I don't know. It's an interesting topic, I think, to debate, right? Because on the one hand, there is, there does have to be that level of familiarity. There does have to be that level of, hey, you pick it up and there is something that we know you're playing a Bethesda game. That's what we're hoping for, especially since Fallout 76. That's what we're looking to get. That's what we're looking to see. And I think if they did anything less, that fans will be disappointed Just to what extent should they include that familiarity? Again, I said not at all. And I'm going to stand by that. I think it should stand completely independent from Elder Scrolls and Fallout. I think that, you know, people people like to throw out this connected universe theory. And I don't even want to see a connected universe. It's a cool concept on paper. But it bounds it to... It restricts it in some ways. Not in the sense because obviously Fallout is not restricted in any way lore-wise by what Elder Scrolls did, 
But you, you have this in the back of your mind that it is all one universe and then you, you, you have to follow this overarching story of what happened to the universe, right? Even if Bethesda wants to turn around and say, well, Nern actually became Earth, which became Fallout, which became Starfield. I don't know. It does, it does, it, does it take away a little bit of something for anybody else? It does for me. It, it, it makes me seem like everything is a little bit less significant and now we have to flesh out how exactly did they get to those points i don't i don't care i really don't i i'm completely happy with them existing independent of one another the second question then if you want it to be completely different is how how can they take a first person shooter if starfield uses guns that is and make it into something different than what they did with Fallout. And that's an answer I do not have. That's an answer I don't want to pretend or make up even. Because I've always been surprised with the direction Bethesda goes in with their games. I think if you look at Oblivion to Skyrim, that's perfect evidence of the fact that you don't know how much things can become different. In fact, go back and play. Go back and play Oblivion. Or just watch footage of Oblivion and watch the combat. I know people feel like the combat in Skyrim is just kind of sliding off of one another, but look at Oblivion and it literally is as if you're, you're, you're using pool noodles. Really, really is. There is no physics, there's no bounce back, recoil, no power and oomph in the hits. Maybe, maybe Starfield can kind of try to take on a system like Wolfenstein's gunplay. Because I think Wolfenstein really has mastered the gunplay. Really, really, truly. Wolfenstein, it's it, they handle so well. And it's so satisfying. So maybe that's the direction they want to look to. And then in that way, you combine that with the open world elements. And you have something a little bit unique. Alternatively, alternatively they can try something more along the lines of... I don't know, No Man's Sky even? Not in terms of the open world and the procedural generation, but just there is some shooting involved with No Man's Sky. Maybe? I don't think that's where they would go, but I'm just trying to throw out ideas. Really, I don't know. I do not know. There's tons of places. I mean, they could try Call of Duty, but that's not going to happen. They could try Battlefield, but that's not going to happen. Those are the two obvious first-person, you know dominance in the industry i think wolfenstein would be the best bet if they wanted to take inspiration from something anyway i'd love to hear what you guys have to say about that that's really something that's open for all of you to go ahead and discuss in the comment section because i think it really does raise a good point as to how exactly they can make it not be fallout in space and that's one of the biggest questions in mind. And honestly, one of the things I'm most excited to see at E3. Anyway, that's all I had for this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I do want to find a co-host. I think it is a lot more fun when you have someone to bounce off of. Even if they don't know what you're discussing. Even if they aren't familiar with the topics. You read the articles and then you go and you discuss them with them it's more fun it's more fun for me and i and i have a hunch that it's also more fun to listen to so we'll see how that goes unless i was doing it live that's the alternative is do it live where i'm interacting with you guys and essentially you are all my co-hosts <laughs> anyway thank you guys so much for tuning in again it will be available on spotify 
check the timestamps, but I hope that you would already know that. <laughs> and join, take a look out for the Discord as well as my Twitter. Links in the description below. So long, everybody. Thank you again.